Please prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true, with thanksgiving, I'll be a I'm Grace Bella Harmon, board-certified dance movement therapist and embodied grief guide. Body Grieves, Spirit Calls is an open exploration of the connection between grief, embodiment, and spirituality. I believe the grieving is an inherently sacred process that deserves and requires its own attention and energy to fully integrate. Through personal stories, reflections, and interviews, I seek to highlight the ways in which grief can bring us home to our bodies and to a deeper connection with the spirit that holds us all. Okay, welcome to the podcast, Alan. Happy to have you. Oh, thank you so much, Grace, for having me on the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd love for you to just start by sharing a little bit about you, your name, anything you'd like to share. Um, and how is your grief living in your body today? Yeah, absolutely, for sure. Well, my, my name is Alan DeMonso. I'm the founder of The Awakened Man and, uh, and also our group mentoring program, The Band of Brothers. And I, I started doing this men's work just a few years ago when uh, I had encountered a, a moment of, you know, really, a really challenging time in my life. And not only was, uh, was my marriage uh, in shambles, but at the time, uh, my best, fr- I would say my best friend was my father-in-law. And, uh, and we did every, we hung out and did everything together. And um, he just lived a couple of blocks away from where we were. And uh, he used to, he loved to go out dancing. So we always had different dance partners. And one of his dance partners called me up and said, hey, I haven't heard from Bob in, in a while. Uh, can you go, do you mind going by to see him and, and check on him? And I've done that before. And, you know, sometimes he's out watch, walking his dog and, you know, that's, and, and that's what I was expecting to see. And when I got to his home and, uh, and uh, Dickie, his dog was still there, I knew something was up. And, uh, so it was my first encounter of, of facing death and, uh, seeing him, uh, he had had an accident in the washroom and, and it's not a place, you know, a piece that I wanted to, the way I wanted to see my, my father-in-law and my best friend, but I think I was spirit guided me to, to be there, to be the one to find him to, uh, and I think he really wanted it to be that way because he knew he'd be looked after and things would be taken care of. But I found through that process that there wasn't anywhere for, for me to go and, and get help. And not that there isn't programs for people to, you know, grief programs and, and to do things. And, and I tried that. But as a, as a man, it's really difficult to be open and share our, our grief and to talk about how we're feeling about things. And so when I recognized that there was this gap in the in uh, in the area that I live here in, in Winnipeg, Manitoba, I started. I wanted to create a space for men to be able to share in that grief, whether that be the death of a loved one, the job loss, uh, a relationship is falling apart, a place where we can go and we can, you know, share our vulnerability and and really express what's coming for us. And and to this day, I would say that you know, as I'm telling this story, I just have this still have this piece in my chest. I keep touching my chest because mm-hmm. there's still lots of, lots of love there. Mm-hmm. Lots of missing. Mm. 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 Yeah. just want to honor that and make space for that. Mm-hmm. For sure. Thank you for sharing a little bit of your story. And I, one of the reasons I was so um, excited to talk to you in particular is because 
it's so true that there is, you know, our gender and sex is like, is you know, huge, has huge implications for our grief and for our emotions and our emotional processing. And, um, and so much of what I see um, in the men around me is that grief often, um, you know, it gets repressed or suppressed and it can come out in anger. It can come out in, um, you know, substance abuse. It can come out in physical pain, like, you know, like anyone. Mm -hmm. But that there seems to be a real, um, just a lack of awareness of the connection between grief and those other experiences. Uh. Um, so I'd love to know if and how that's been true for you um, in the work that you do. It's so true. It's just um, the, the, the challenge is that because as men, we've been raised to show no emotion or to really suppress that, whether that's, you know, whether that's uh, an excitement, because as, as, as young boys, you know, we're just full of energy and we're, we can be quite rambunctious. And so we're always been, we've always been taught, at least with my generation to, to really suppress that and, and to calm ourselves down. So we never get an opportunity to truly fully live in any of our experiences because we're, we put ourselves in this box. <laughs> and the only way that it looks, that looks to us that it can be manifested is through how the media portrays it, whether that's be, you know, Hollywood and you know, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm 56 today, you know, at this stage in my life. And so, you know, it's all the action heroes, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, it's the uh, Rambo movies, you know, that seemed to be this, this masculine archetype that we are to aspire to, but there is no vulnerability in, in, in that, that is such a, such a misguided idea of who we are. And so when we base this, and the work that you know that I do today, when men get get in a position where they need to face uh, trauma in their life, we don't know how to react to that, and sometimes it does show up as as anger because we not we're not used to dealing with our that core emotion of anger and behind what's behind that residing in the, the piece because it's truly a it's truly a piece you know behind most anger is going to be things like shame and mm -hmm. fear and it's not really what's it's not really what's happening but we don't we haven't learned how to our how to express ourselves and i see that with with lots of men and the other thing i experienced as well and even for myself for a period of time was just a complete shutdown it's just it was just easier to say nothing it was easier to to not talk about it because uh, then i didn't have to deal with stuff and even to this day as i you know as i tell the, my story you know about uh about Bob, it was still very challenge. It's still very challenging, and so there's so it always to me it's there's always work to be done. It's not something that there's a timeline that says you know and you know ah, eighteen months everything will be fine. It's not the case. Is uh, Bob's been gone for several years now, but there's still that emotional connection, that piece because when he was around, the other thing is that I that I notice and recognize with with a lot of men is that we don't know how to connect with other men. We don't know how to connect and, and be present with, the, with them. And so the conversations are always superficial. He was a big New York Yankees fan, and I was a big Montreal Canadiens fan. And so we talked about superficial things. We didn't get into, you know, the real stuff about life and how he was feeling and dealing with some of his issues or, or my issues, right? And, and I think that the work that that why well, I think I know the work that I'm doing now is to help provide a space for men to really get clear on what's important to them and what's important in their lives so that they can be more present in their relationships. So, you know, our tagline is to guide men to live lives of purpose on purpose, meaning that we have intent with everything that we do, whether it's conscious or not, that there's always some intent and we spend way too much time just sleepwalking through life and not paying attention to the what's really happening and and really connecting deeply with those that are around us, especially the the people that we claim to be close to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like there's 
I mean, so much of what I felt, have felt in my own experience and what I see in the people that I guide is that like grief can become this doorway yeah. to that deeper level of experience, that deeper, deeper level of awareness. Um, if we can be tender with ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'd love to know, how did you kind of get to this, this place of being able to guide others? And what was your, yeah, anything you'd like to share about that journey? Sure. Well, I always say that this, uh, the work that I do is not a guru program because uh, I don't, I, I don't believe in, in, in that because we're all born with, we're all born and come to this earth with learned warts, right? These pieces of our personality, we're, we're imperfect beings working towards a perfection, you know, a spiritual perfection. And, and so my focus is really about helping us understand that our journey is while it's our individual hero's quest, our individual journey, it's, it's more, it's more beneficial and it's a lot more fun to do it with others. We gain such so much more out of community when we can be, when we can be together as brothers to lift ourselves when, because not all of us are going to be at the same level of emotion, the same level of presence as the others, and we can help bring each other together. And so I really felt this, this almost calling this push to, because I've always felt that I've, I've uh, in my, uh, you know, during my time, I've always looked at and liked the idea of coaching and, and mentoring others. And while I had attempted that in years gone by, whether that be through business or other aspects, uh, things just ultimately just didn't really resonate with me until this occurrence. And I really think that there are no accidents in life that we're guided to our, to what we are to do. And if we're awake enough, pay, pay attention enough, we can recognize the signs. And so when this, when this, this was happening, I knew this was the right place for me. That, and that doesn't mean there aren't days that are struggle, that are a struggle and, you know, do another podcast, work on some, work on the next, the next piece. But the reward behind seeing the, the value and see what's happening with men as they're growing just makes it all the worthwhile to to get up in the morning and and I still do this as a bit as a side hustle and so my life is full but it's more full because I get to do something that fills my heart up on a weekly basis of seeing men grow mm. so for you there was a pretty immediate um after this loss it was a pretty immediate change or desire to to hold space for others Yes, you know, and my my makeup is is that you know is that I get when when especially when the when the when the two ins, the two things were pretty close in time frame mm -hmm. between the, the the struggle in the marriage and and my losing my father in law mm -hmm. that uh, I just get down and I just start reading, you know, and so there in and I probably devoured a dozen a dozen books in uh, in with within a few a few short months of trying to understand and, and really work through my grief. And as I kept doing this, I just, it kept coming back to me. You know, there's other people that if I'm dealing with this, there's has to be other men that are dealing with this. Mm -hmm. And then that really led me on this journey to find out what's going, what's out there, what's available and to create a program that, that was authentic to my beliefs and how, how I wanted to show up and serve individuals. And that was really the, the catalyst. And so we're two and a half years, <coughs> excuse me, two and a half years into the process. And it's still growing and evolving. And I think that's what's the beauty of it is that it continues to evolve and change as, as I continue to evolve and change and, and, and see the work that's happening, what's reson really resonating with, with the men in the group and what isn't necessarily resonating. And so as, as we get better, and I'm sure you're finding this in your practice as well, that, you know, things, ideas come. And if we're open to explore them, you know, sometimes they work out phenomenally well. Sometimes it just needs a little bit more time to marinate and work through to, to get to a point that the message you're trying to get across, you know, is clear for our recipients. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the, the things that you have seen in the men that you've worked with as a result of this process? 
you know, I've seen, uh, I've seen men who have come in and have been extremely quiet. Uh, they, they, while they were open with me and uh, during the interview process and, and, and working with them to, to get them to join our programs, our, our, the, the best uh, program from the work with is really in our band of brothers. Um, you know, it's, uh, uh, we call it, I call it Bob as for my father-in-law and, and it's really our group mentorship program. And, but I've, the work that I see with them as they come in and while they've shared so much with me, I don't see it's my, as my place to share their story and to watch them start to, uh, open up and hear another man's story or another piece that, that, that they didn't, that they, that they didn't think that it only happens that was only happening for them, you know, and, and a case in point was, uh, another friend, uh, actually ended up by being a really close friend of mine talked about the loss of his father. And, uh, we weren't necessarily dealing with grief, but we were talking about core emotions and how we're dealing with it. And that story came, and that story came up at, uh, at one of our uh, sessions and this other gentleman just broke down like literally just broke down and all this is via zoom. And so, you know, those that feel that uh, zoom is an, is an impersonal platform. I don't know, man, you see somebody with tears in their eyes, still, it still hurts. It still affects you. Right. And uh, seeing this gentleman break down and finally talk about what he was going through with just such a, while it was so powerful and emotional in the moment, the, the energy of the room, just totally changed. You could just see everyone, you know, wanting to be able to, I'm sure if we were in a groups in a in-person meeting, you know, this gentleman would have had lots of hug and hugs and been held to be able to, to let them know that things are going to be okay. Because that's something that we're just not used to as men that to, to have that. It seems like the moment that we can run around and get off mom and dad's lap, the type of affection is now, is not really present for a lot of men and so to be able to be held that way and know that 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 there are others that that care for you and going through the same or a similar journey that you're supported mm -hmm. i think that's probably the most powerful one that i've been able to witness mm -hmm. yeah as you're talking i'm also kind of present with this this cultural grief right Mm -hmm. about that, about not being held, about the way that boys are expected to be men, right, from a very young age and expected to control their feelings and expected to be strong. Um, and so I feel like the space that you create, it's probably a multi-layered healing, right? It's not just whatever their own stuff is, but it's also that, right? It's also the, the processing of that sort of cultural. Absolutely. We talk a lot of, we spend a lot of time, actually one of the modules that, uh, that I created was, we, I call it the man box and the man mm -hmm. box isn't my idea. The idea came from uh, Terry Porter in the U S and dealing with, mm -hmm. with the black community. But I took the idea of this masculine box that we've, that men have put themselves into and we unpack that to talk about the different parts of our lives and how things and how we're, we were raised and we deal with everything from you know how the object objectification of women and how we see how we see uh, sex and pornography and how we're how we feel how we're we were raised as to be seen and not heard and and the idea of the piece is really to change who we are our identity as men and it's all part of really understanding and unpacking that, that idea of who you, who you, we were, how, the values and beliefs that we were raised with, are they truly ours or are they borrowed? Mm. And do they still serve us today? And some, and in some instances they might, but in a lot of times it doesn't any longer. And so are we willing to explore that, that value and belief and why is it there? And a lot of that has to deal with how we deal with, you know, trauma in our life. And, and because we, we, we end up by having coping mechanisms. And I think that's what we really started our conversation about today is a, it's a really a coping mechanism, mechanism, how it shows up and manifests in the world is whether that's through anger or addiction or, you know, uh, 
whatever, whatever that looks like, you know, shutting down, it's a coping mechanism to that we've been able to do to that our ego has said, this is how I'm going to keep you safe. Mm-hmm. And are we willing to explore that? And so we, we spend lots of time exploring and unpacking that. The, the, I would say it's the stories and the lies that we tell ourselves mm-hmm. and can, and are we ready to re- rewrite the script and rewrite a different piece? And so the work we do is we spend a lot of, I'd like the idea, I like the idea of doing things in 90 day uh, blocks of time. It gives us an opportunity to focus enough energy and time into a specific aspect that we can then get some momentum and movement through it. Mm. When we do that, then we then I what I see is that we start to elevate other aspects of our life because that coping mechanism shows up in lots of different areas. It's not just in this one, but it's a it's a subconscious piece. And when we can when we can recognize that trigger and how that's hap- happening, then we have a better opportunity to really start to integrate that work of you know of whether that be grief or the shadow part of it we talk we call it and the, the side of us that we just don't want to look at and, mm-hmm. and deal with mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and i'm sure there's so much you know i know that there's so much about um being seen in that process that is so hard but also so important um well to be seen and to be seen as you know for men a lot of it has to to be seen we feel that everything is a competition mm. right like that's part of how we are brought up right it's always a competition it's a it's a one upmanship and while there's there's some value and i'll say some value in competition that's the helping if we if it's done from a place of compassion right so so when we talk about you know being compassionately you know, being compassionately challenging each other. It's about not about degrading the, the ourselves or the individual. It's about lifting them up and helping them get to that next, that next rung on the ladder. And so it's how we're, how we're showing up really is the challenge on in, in understanding our mindset of whether we feel, whether we believe that all of life is a competition and whether and and how does that truly serve us you know unless you're unless you're playing a you're playing a sport and you're getting paid other than that i don't see any i don't see the the value of the competition Mm -hmm. so to speak in uh, in our lives Mm -hmm. yeah in my work i use the word witnessing a lot Mm. um because there's both like the act of being seen, but there's also the act of really witnessing openly without trying to judge or fix or change. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, and that is such a challenge, you know. <laughs> you know, one of the in our meetings, we have two rounds of conversation. The first round is an opportunity for everyone to to share their their insight or what they're getting from our 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 lesson plan or what what we're working on. And so this particular month in December is, is, is focusing on sharpening the saw. And it's about looking back at the strengths that we've used this year in order to, to uh, further ourselves along. And, we've, and the focus every year is always about who are, who are the men we are ultimately trying to become. Like by the end of this year, who is the man that Alan wants, wants to reveal to the world? And it'll show up in, in, our, in our habits, right? And so... Yeah, that first round is all about witnessing, to, to use your word, and to just be present because we're so quick to fix. Like, we just want to jump in and, well, maybe you should try this, you know, and I had this experience and tried that, or here's a great book. And that's what I always say. So I catch myself with slow down, right? But it is an opportunity for, for us, for, for men to be able to listen, mm-hmm. you know, and about what it means to hold space and to be present. And, it's uh, so I had to really develop a few sets of ground rules for sharing, you know, and so it, it is about if they're on round two, when we get an opportunity to now to, to have an open conversation, it's to make sure that we reflect back what we heard from that individual, mm-hmm. right? So it would be, you know, Grace, what, what really resonated with me with what you just said was about witnessing. And what it, that means to me is about being it for 
allowing me to be present for that other individual. And so it's, it's, it's a different way for guys to talk because we'd want to just get into fixed mode. Mm. And, uh, and so it's really unique. So there's lots of, you know, when you think about it, there's lots of things going on together and then uh, it takes a while for the, for the, the light switch to go on for some, some of the guys, but once the, once they get it, mm. it's uh, it, it, you can see a profound shift in, in how they're showing up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like what gets to happen when we don't try to fix? It's a great question. Space gets to open up. Yeah. When it doesn't become about fixing pain, but about being with it. Well, and it's a, again, it becomes an avoidance strategy, right? Mm. That we want to get into fixed mode so we don't, so we don't have to spend as much time in that pain or in that, that issue. And then instead, it's okay to be sitting in there. And I always say it's, it's good. It's, it's, it's okay to marinate, just not for too terribly long to marinate long enough to get the message from it. And, and so one of the things that, that we do is we always start our meetings always begin and end with an invocation and a benediction and opportunity to, to allow spirit to come in to help guide our conversation. So the guys get an understanding that there's something greater than us that's living through us that's happening. And to be grateful for that presence to be grateful for whatever, and whatever, you know, belief or faith tradition comes for you, that's fine. It's a but it's about opening up that time and and then now you also utilize uh, utilize uh, affirmative prayer for in the one-on-one coaching with them to help them understand uh, a different way to be able to connect with uh, with something larger than than them and and the last thing we always use uh, I use a lot of uh, especially for myself is teaching men how to use a visioning practice mm-hmm. of uh, being able to truly you know, get in and, and work on that deeper part of us, that stuff that, that sticky stuff that we may not, we may not want to be dealing with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how does your own, like in your, in your sessions with people, with these men, how do you feel your own grief informing the work, like on a day-to-day? Jeez. That's a great question. I think it comes to what it happens for me is it comes up from with, uh, I always, I get a sense of initial uh, anxiety comes up mm-hmm. and then this, this, this voice or this sense of calmness comes right after it. It's, I have this, vi- always have this vision of a, you know, a large wave, you know, something that a surfer would get on, but behind that is the calmness, right? And there's lots of turbulence up front. And then if you just, if I can just ride it for a little bit longer and I can get onto the calm side, then I can be more present. And whereas before, you know, it would be a struggle. It was a fight. And I find now that the, I'm more, it's, it's getting easier and faster for me to get to that sense of calmness. Now it depends on the day and it depends on what's being triggered. Cause there's, like I said, I'm, the work I do is not a guru program. I'm on the same similar path and I have my own stuff to work on, but this gives me an opportunity to help process that. And, uh, and I tend not to write too many notes or make, you know, or try to plan it out because I find when I do that, the uh, sessions are less effective. Mm -hmm. And if I just open up to a couple of key questions and just allowing them to, to, really be present, come here to, to share what they need to share. And then, and then take it, take that conversation from wherever, wherever they want it to go. Mm. So the calmness comes as a response to the anxiety or as a response to, to what? Yeah, it comes from, for me, it comes from, it is a, a response from the anxiety, but it's also, it's also coming from a place of, of helping me to, a reminder of, to, to not try to fix or not try to, to push something and to be open and willing to hear 
and allow what's happening to, to unfold in front of me. And so the moment that I don't do that and I'm not recognizing it, then, then I find that I'm the one talking more. And when I'm talking more, then I'm not learning any, anymore. Mm. And so this sense of calmness is really doing a few things at the same time. But I would say the biggest piece for sure is a sense of a reminder of, of to slow down to mm. just, you know, this be in that, in that presence to mm. really understand and, our, and get a handle on what's happening underneath and to try not to assume too terribly much. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like the anxiety is the, the cue to slow down, mm -hmm. which is exactly the opposite of what our bodies want to do in anxiety. Yeah. And I think it's interesting when we start doing, when we started doing trigger work and understanding, you know, when we get triggered, like what are the pieces all around that? And again, it comes back to, you know, for me it was that that anxiety would come from as a young child, I'm the oldest of five mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, very rambunctious and got myself into lots of trouble. And the, the issues then would drive this there would always be a, a consequence. And so it, it, that would manifest in other life, in other areas of life. Right. And so it wouldn't matter if that was a, a sense of authority figure, whether that would be a partner or work or a close friend. Like if I, if my body felt that I was going to be in jeopardy or danger, not necessarily physical all the time, but just in danger and I could be at a loss, you know, then, then this anxiety piece would come. So it would start to make up excuses or get in the, you would start to do things, anything to, anything to get rid of it. But when I, when I started doing some spiritual work and, and meditating and, you know, and affirmative prayer and starting to slow down a bit, I felt that that was more effective because I no longer needed to run away from the thing that was causing me anxiety. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's not that things and I'm sure you find this in your with yourself and in your practice that I'm not saying that the things are getting resolved in a mo in that moment, everything's getting uh, resolved. But I've taken another layer of that proverbial onion off, I've taken another opportunity to a different perspective, because it's come up in a different way. Now, the, the that pain that that loss has showed up in a different way. Mm -hmm. And it's showed up to teach me something if and so, you know, if I think about it out loud now, the question, the quiet question is probably, what am I going to learn here? Mm. You know, if I'm willing to stay. Mm -hmm. It sounds like there's this really deep connection for you between spirit and the ability to slow down and soften. And I'd love to hear more about sort of what that journey has been for you. If this has kind of always been the case for you, if this is new. Yeah, for sure. That's a great question. It, it is a very new for me because uh, my whole, my whole life was trying, was about climbing the, climbing the corporate ladder and doing the best, of, you know, being the best that I could be. And so early in my career, uh, I used to be a, I used to be a chef and running kitchens and, in the early nineties, I was blessed to work in an environment where I was, I had an opportunity to compete at the culinary world Olympics. So yeah, there's a, an Olympics for cooks. Uh, yeah. yeah. And so, uh, it's held in the same year as, uh, as the summer Olympic Olympics in Frankfurt. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I was fortunate enough to participate and win a couple of medals and, you know, and while my life professional life was in, was you know, really flourishing, doing well, my personal life was falling apart being around me. And so it took not so that was my first marriage that I lost, and lost everything, not just the, the marriage, but I was in such a state of depression, I wasn't able to spend much time with my children growing up in their formative years. And I had to rebuild my life. And so when I just about lost my second marriage, and, and, uh, and the death of my father in law, it was the part that said, what's truly important to me, Al. Mm. And it's, and it's not about 
the position in life. It's not about the career. It's really about fulfillment. It's about being able to, to, to serve and work with people. It's why I, you know, that service part has always been in my, in my DNA, really. It's, it's, I've been in hospitality my entire career. I've always do things to, I volunteer at a, at a soup kitchen. It's things that are important that are important to me to, that fill my life with, with, uh, you know, with joy and happiness. And, and so when I, you know, when I was in my early fifties or uh, late forties, I should say, and some of the stuff was starting to happen and doing my work. Uh, I also started into doing spiritual work and, and as a, as a science of mind practitioner. And so that's the journey is leading me towards really getting a understanding of the spiritual aspect because while I was raised Catholic mm -hmm. by the time I hit became a teenager uh church and spirit were totally out of the out of the equation and today I recognize that there is something greater that is leading us and so um yeah it's just it's a part of me now that and I feel it's so important that especially in the world today in society I feel that we're really down a path that's going that is going more and more of a godless path and how can we come back to spirit and and i'm not one to sit here and say that you should have this faith or this faith that's not what's important to me because i believe that we it all comes from uh from the same core pieces mm -hmm. it's about how we express it and can we be open and know that our works are not us that it's the work of spirit through us and i always that's when i think about my men's work it's it's spirit working through me as me mm -hmm. it's not by me mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. totally yeah i always say that my work is spirit-led and sometimes that leads you down some really interesting unexpected <laughs> places <laughs> spirit is not a human so that's for sure <laughs> yeah we don't we have no idea what's going to happen um so for you, the the grief of losing your first relationship, your first marriage was kind of an opening into the spiritual sense. Yeah. And I would suggest that at that time, and again, that was my journey of becoming a reader and, and you know, mm -hmm. learning, you know, I wanted to answer the question, how could, how could somebody be so successful in one aspect of their life and then the rest of their life sucks? Mm -hmm. And so uh, that was the start of the work. But what I found is that journey was here. Right. And so the mental journey doesn't just, it just stayed there. So yes, like, you know, I, I knew all the, I knew the, the superficial or the higher levels piece. Right. And he even got, you know, I even got certified in a few things and, you know, in some, in some different modalities to help me process work, but never really implemented and practice it. It took again, to, to your point, you know, spirit, you know, all will always guide you to what you need to learn and, your what your calling is and had i been uh awake then 30 years ago things might have unfolded differently for me but it needed spirit recognized that i needed another kick in the pants or two to finally get me over the to the point to truly understand what the calling is mm -hmm. and to do that work and uh, i i i don't know i i think if it's in, it's always interesting because it doesn't mean you have to wait to your fifties to, to have spirit wake you up. And I've seen it. I've, I've seen and read about it with folks, you know, much, much, much younger. It's just our openness to it, you know, and what, and where we're in, and where we are in life. Yeah. And, you know, to bring it back to the beginning to like, what sort of emotional resources we have, right? Like, do we have people in our lives as children who are ready and willing to see us and hold us exactly as we are and to what degree, you know, that's no small thing. No. And I think we are, you know, as, you know, as we've all, we all have parents and, and I think our parents did the best. It took me a while to understand that our parents did the best with what they had mm -hmm. and then what they knew, you know, they didn't have the internet. They didn't have all the things that we have today, the different types of classes and that, you know, we didn't raise, we weren't raised with, with lots of, uh, there was not, not a lot of abundance in our life. It was, uh, it was a struggle for, for my father to keep the roof over all of our heads. And so we were just grateful that we got to come home and like, 
very few people in this world, if we take the whole world into consideration, that actually have a, ho a home and food on the table every day mm -hmm. of our lives. Yeah. But uh, from a complete uh, abundance perspective, uh, the broader one, that just wasn't there. And so some of those lessons that we that we we teach ourselves or our parents teach us, you know, about not being, you know, not being greedy and again being raised Catholic and there was lots of guilt in my in my home at least that's the way it was portrayed mm -hmm. and it's it's still to this day does take time for for me to work through some of those old programs because they're not always active they're still there but they're not always active and it just takes a it takes an incident to help move it but because today I'm more conscious of what's happening in my body how I'm feeling about things like this whole interview today at the start this ball of energy was felt like like a small elephant was sitting on my chest mm -hmm. and now it just feels like my cat's laying on it mm -hmm. like it's still there but you know the uh, because of this is good work that you're doing grace that helps helps all of us be able to process and work through our trauma and uh, and we need more of this we need to be able to do more of this mm -hmm. yeah i'm curious what you see with either with yourself or with the men you work with how how embodiment and how how the body comes into your work yeah and that's one piece of our of our work that uh that we do a little bit of i'll uh, be honest i spend a lot of time in it most of the time the time that it comes in is really when we're dealing with with our core emotions because it's easier to you know there's easier to have that correlation and so mm -hmm. i look for opportunities to be able to to bring more of that body work into uh in, into my work. Uh, but because I'm not as versed in that, it's something that I haven't been able to really employ as, as much as I could. So it's probably some, some work that, uh, that we could do together. Yeah, for sure. Or even just like what you see, you know, cause I think even if we don't have language for it, or even if we don't like guide people through it, like, I think we see how the body shifts when emotions are processed, right? So is there anything that, that you've kind of noticed in people you've worked with? Absolutely. I think, you know, it's a great point when you start talking about uh, body language. So that, that is, that is a piece and, you know, that goes, harkens back to some of my NLP work and in mm -hmm. really understanding, you know, how, you know, how they're showing up. So when I use the term showing up, I mean, what are, what are they looking like? Like today I can see that you're totally engaged with what's going on with us in our conversation. Um, but there are times in, uh, in the men's work where they're not engaged and you can see that they're either their heads down, they're, they're, they're not really, yeah, they're not really into what's going on. And so my style and in, in working with, uh, in, the, in our meeting is that anybody that comes more than two meetings knows that they're going to get their name called mm -hmm. at some point. And the idea isn't to call out people, but is to help them engage because once we become engaged in, in the conversation, even if they don't have a lot to say, and we, and we allow space for, for guys to pass, but in the explanation, because they get a large workbook to go with the meeting guide that we, I explained to them about why Pat, why it's okay to pass and the, and the idea behind it. And so when we pass and we're not engaging, what we're also saying to our, to our brothers in that, in that instance is that they're not important and that I haven't been paying attention because there's always something we can learn mm -hmm. and within the, within that time. And so I see their engagement change as we get involved. And so I work really hard to make sure that there are uh, thought provoking questions for each, for each group session to start that conversation, really get them diving into it. Cause then we can build, build off of that. And so the, when I really have, when that starts to happen, now you can start to see some body language. Generally, tonality is a little bit more challenging uh, through Zoom, but you can still pick up, I can still pick up on some of that. But when it's on one-on-one, -on -one, uh, it just, it's just much easier because truly is that focus of the, the one individual. Totally. And, uh, and you can get a better sense of, of where they're at. And, and I know I just had a new client come on board and he's going through an extremely challenging time, uh, in the moment. And, uh, he started to break down as well. And just as you were doing for me at the start of this, of this, uh, interview is just 
just let them know that and let's allow some space, some space for you to, to process what you're going through, mm-hmm. uh, to, to give him that opportunity instead of trying to shuffle it off mm-hmm. and not uh, giving him the opportunity. And I really think that's so important in, mm-hmm. uh, in all of our work that getting people to, and even we don't have to be doing the healing work we're doing, uh, even in our day-to-day interactions to, to be able to allow that the shift of who people see you as changes dramatically. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I think we just all need, especially men just need so, so much permission. And once we feel the permission, it's like everything bubbles over. I mean, a new client started a couple of months ago and she was like, you know, she was talking and crying and she was like, does this happen a lot? Like people sob on your first session and like, yeah, every, almost every time because by the time, you know, unfortunately because of the way our world is structured, there's usually a lot, a lot of suppression that happens before they're ready to, to be, you know, to process it. So yeah, what a gift to have the space to break down. Yeah. Well, and even that, right. And, you know, I'm, you're telling your, you're, you're telling that story and I'm just thinking about, you know, going back to that, the man box piece and about how we label mm-hmm. the women in our lives. Right. And, you know, well, you know, that she's a crier or, you know, she's lose, losing her stuff and language generally more saltier than that. But, you know, we, we have these labels and why is it that we have this label? Because mm-hmm. it's okay for someone to show emotion and, if you know, and I and, and our belief is that if we show up the right way by allowing that emotion to to be expressed, by then being there to support it, support them going through it, then guess what? That relationship dynamic changes. And more, and and while they may always be more uh, emotional, we all there are lots of people, men included, that wear their hearts on their sleeves. Mm-hmm. So as the adage goes, but that that tension that we feel when it's happening is, isn't as much anymore. Right. Yeah. So we can, and that, and then that they pick up on it and they have less tension and stress over it. Mm-hmm. So it really shifts that, that dynamic, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It kind of goes back to what you were saying about how powerful the group is, which is true, you know, in any relationship, right. That like, we get to cha- change all the energy around us when we can process our own shit, you know? Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to share or any words of wisdom or advice or just honey on the heart that you'd like to give to anybody listening? Yeah, I, I would say that if you're work, if, if if you know that there's a man in your life, whether that's somebody that's really close to you or even a friend, that that it's to let them know that it's okay for them to feel what they need to feel, to that it, that to give them that space to do that, and that there there is great power when we can master our emotions and we can and we can take control of our lives from a perspective of being able to fully experience all life has to offer. And when we can do that, and I'm not saying to go and it's the old adage of how do you eat an elephant, you know, one bite at a time. So I'm not suggesting for someone to, to try and tackle everything, but it's to reach out and let them know that there's, that there's work and help for them, mm-hmm. that they can get this help. Because I think there's way too many, way too many men that, that struggle with loneliness and being, and not being able to deal with, with like, cause we just don't have the tools to mm-hmm. be able to do that. So I would leave your, your listeners with that. Beautiful. Thank you so much for your time today, Alan. Really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you so much for having me on the show. You're doing great work, Grace. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Where can people find you if they want to stay connected? You bet. They can reach me on my website at theawakenedman.net. That's the best place to get to me. They'll have from there, they'll be able to have a look at our group mentorship program, as well as the one-on-one coaching program, which we call the Heroes Quest for, uh, for any work. And, and uh, that's where I would send them. Beautiful. Actually, I have one more question. I'm curious <laughs> about where, 
the hero's quest comes from? Like, what's the, what's the importance for you of using that language? Yeah, so it's from, uh, it's just a play on Joseph Campbell's work of the hero's journey. And, yeah. uh, and so I didn't want to call it the hero's journey, but it's the hero's quest. I believe that our entire lifespan is a hero's quest. And we're always going through this, going through these challenges. And, and we have mentors that come through our lives. And we have opportunity to learn and grow and then to come back and return and, uh, and share that gifts. But I think our hero within the grand hero's quest, there's numerous smaller ones. Mm-hmm. There's always a piece that we're, that we're working on. And if we're willing to, to embark on that journey and do that work, then we get an opportunity to really un- unravel the, the part of who we are. Because I have a big belief that our work, my work here is to help men live fully and completely as whole mm-hmm. individuals and to not allow not to continue to suppress that one any one aspect of themselves Mm. call for all of us to mm, live into our wholeness yeah beautiful thanks so much thank you Thank you, dear listener, for going on this journey with me. Much gratitude to beautiful Chorus and Naomi Westwater for the beautiful opening and closing music. If you resonate with this podcast, you can show your appreciation by leaving a generous review and by sharing it with your communities. You can also join my Grief Village community on Patreon, where we have twice-monthly Move Your Grief Circles, a monthly Q&A, and an ever-growing collection of meditations, practices, and other resources. Details to join as well as more information about my work are in the show notes. Thank you for your support. Until next time, have a soulful day.